Live well, bank well at Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union. At Affinity Plus, the approach to banking is different because they focus on people, not profit. They serve members with care, excellence, and integrity, built on a solid foundation since 1930. The Affinity Plus not-for-profit cooperative structure allows members to receive maximum benefits while experiencing outstanding service. By and large, members of Affinity Plus love this credit union. And Affinity Plus loves the communities they serve. And they are a strong community partner working very hard every day to support the people, businesses, and relationships that exist in their communities. Visit Affinity Plus at the Brainerd Lakes branch in Baxter to learn more. Or just have a chat and some free coffee. Affinity Plus is federally insured by NCUA. Good afternoon and welcome to Community Focus at JJY. I'm Ken Thomas along with Tess Taylor. Today our guest is Laura Schwartzwald. Laura is a pharmacist and has been on a number of planning committees and task forces that have looked at uh, pandemic preparedness. And uh, first of all, Laura, we want to say thank you for joining us here today. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Yeah. Uh, are you still involved with some of the planning and preparedness at this point? Um, yes, I am. I'm still, there's a national level uh, group from NACHO um, that stands for National Association of County and City Health Officers or Officials. Mm-hmm. And um, we do a pandemic preparedness um, meeting usually every two months. Um, that has been less frequent lately. However, um, a lot of the people on that committee are in charge of the strategic national stockpile for large areas of states. And um, my participation, I think, in that that group tends to be like I'm the boots on the ground person, kind of telling people what will or won't work from a just a practical standpoint of workflow at the pharmacy level. Um, I've also recently uh, been involved in partnerships between public health and pharmacy in order to form what's called an MOU. Are you familiar with with what a MOU is? No, we are not. Mm-hmm. It's called a Memorandum of Understanding. Um, MOUs are in place. Uh, they're, so, they're sort of taking the place of contracts. Um, so no money is exchanged, but there's a clear expectation that if a situation arises, that that one party is expected to do something, and the other party is also expected to do something. Oh. So, um, yeah, Minnesota was um, asked if they can uh, form an MOU with public health and pharmacy um, in the case of a pandemic. Um, and so we got together and we formed that about a year ago. And so that's open for people to sign that will be put into place if we get an immunization for COVID-19, which I'm hoping will happen in the next couple months, if not next couple of years, so that we'll start to put those strategies in place. Yeah, very much so. So um, what's interesting uh, to me about what you've said so far is that obviously states and our country have been very aware that a pandemic could happen with all this uh, preparing, if you will. Yes, um, we kind of knew that it, was a, it wasn't a matter of if a pandemic was going to occur, it was a matter of when a pandemic was going to occur. Yeah. And when we uh, kind of formed those task forces, those groups, and started talking, I think the initial thought was that there would be an immunization um, that would be available. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew that if, and, and interestingly, I think, 
interestingly for this one, if we do um, get that immunization, there was uh, there was an immunization that's in actually under a study is undergoing um, in Seattle with I think 43 or 45 uh, volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, that study uh, is bypassing the animal trials. It's going straight to the human trials. But if that turns out to be the vaccine, that v- vaccine is going to be what's called an adjuvanted vaccine. Um, an adjuvanted vaccine is something where they put put like a little marker, a little protein, something on the 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 vaccine itself so that our body recognizes it as, as foreign and it uh, forms a bigger response. Yeah. Um, what that means for you and I, means it means that we will have a two-shot series. And the, the goal is to immunize 80%. It used to be 90, but they dropped it down to 80% of the population in a four-month period of time with a two-shot series using the same manufacturer if there's multiple manufacturers. So that's going to be quite challenging. And, and so a lot of the preparedness went into that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. However, um, we had prepared also for for kind of what's been going on right now. I think that we fell short on some things, like, for instance, on the testing and on our uh, and on some of our supplies that were uh, available. But largely it's kind of going along the lines of what we what we kind of expected mm-hmm. uh, to the best of your knowledge are we catching up a little bit now on this testing aspect uh, I keep hearing stories of new tests being developed uh, even some right in our own state yeah uh, we don't have enough tests some of the areas of the state have good coverage uh, for instance down in the Rochester area because of mail mm-hmm. um, they have at least adequate testing supplies um, although I can't speak for our state government at all, I believe one of the reasons why the governor uh, did the stay-at-home declaration was because we knew that we didn't get enough tests done mm. fast enough. And and now they're kind of shifting from the testing phase and just towards the let's get uh, supplies in place, so let's get our masks in place masks made, let's get the ventilators made, so that when we get to the stage where people are going to need those ventilators, we will have them in place. Mm -hmm. And also ICU beds. Um, We don't have enough ICU beds, so the state only has 235 ICU beds, so now we have to try to shift some of um, our existing like hotels and different places that we would have gathered together, like some of our stadiums and try to make that into hotel or into hospitals. And the governor just did this to buy time to keep the, you know, trying to keep that curve down for now so we can, you know, get this stuff all in place. Because like you said, it's about flatten the curve. Yeah. Um, So, and he, in his press conferences, I'm sure many people heard said we need to not think about the flattening the curve. Mm. However, during that, it, when he, said that at the at the press conference I understood what what I think that he's hoping for and what strategies they want to put in place we know that people are going to, be, going to become affected we know that we're going to need the the services of the hospitals um, if we could slow down the rate that people are transferring it from one to to another and so that we could almost tier or stage when people are going to need those services, yeah. that will be 
a huge improvement over what's happening in states like New York and in countries like Italy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this um, we, it's very interesting to hear all the different news stories that are taking place, and some have delved into uh, COVID-19 itself because the coronaviruses have actually been around been for around, a while, yeah. haven't they? Yeah, they have. They've. Um, this one was thought to have come from uh, a bat mm-hmm. that moved over to something called a pangolin. Um, the first SARS, they think, also came from a bat, um, and they think that that one evolved into a civet cat, But um, right. and then it transfers over to humans, and that's what makes it um, dangerous for humans because humans against human viruses, we have some protection against that. Our bodies recognize it, and they're able to stage a defense against it. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes from an animal, it's it's largely foreign to a human, so um, we don't have that protection. And that's why it makes it so difficult to, uh, to develop vaccines for it. Um, luckily, I'm sure you've heard this on the news as well, but um, luckily they think that this is a slow mutating virus, and that's good, because whatever vaccine that they make um, could be effective for quite some time. Okay. Yeah. So from that standpoint, that's actually good news, because if and when we get this vaccine, it should help for a long time then. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Right. Right. Hopefully, um, hopefully if they develop the right vaccine. And, um, so we've heard so much about some of the antiviral drugs, yes. um, and in a sense, that kind of hurt us because uh, the the one drug that we had that was showing effectiveness called remdesivir, um, the maker of that, uh, Gilead or Gilead, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that, to tell you the truth, um, they actually suspended the emergency drug action access program, um, so people that need to to get access to the drug are not able to do so. However, it is trying to get an expanded access program in place. And that, if it's allowed, will allow many more people to gain access um, to the drug. We just don't know how long it'll take for the FDA to to approve that. Hopefully they'll speed things up a little bit if it was found to help, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was on a... a conference yesterday with the CDC, and they did um, acknowledge that chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, which are two drugs that we have in place for um, malaria and then other diseases like rheumatoid arthritis and lupus, um, they, they've shown that it has in vitro activity against SARS-CoV-D virus, um, or the SARS-CoV virus, excuse me, um, and are you familiar with what in vitro means? Uh, for our listeners, why don't you go ahead and explain? Okay, so in viv- there's in vivo and in vitro. Um, if it's alive in the human, it's in vivo, so that's the V. Yeah. Um, in vitro means it shows uh, activity at the laboratory level. Okay. Okay. Mm. So there's trials that are planned, um, and they want to go forward with them at an accelerated pace. Um, however... Some people are using the, for us, it's usually hydroxychloroquine. Uh, Hydroxychloroquine showed a little bit more potent in vitro activity than the chloroquine. Um, 
there's side effects to those drugs, and we've actually seen some yeah. deaths because of people um, taking hydroxychloroquine. It's it's apparently available for cleaning fish tanks. So I they've taken it from... Holy Moses. <laughs> wow. Wow. So make sure people aren't buying these things from places where they can clean fish tanks because they're, these drugs are highly potent. They can cause cardiotoxicity. They definitely um, interrupt the rhythm of your heart. It's called QT prolongation. So we want to make sure that people aren't uh, trying to access these drugs and use them for for this purpose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Think, yeah. yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> Laura, you talked about uh, some efforts out in Seattle. Are there a number of locations across the country that are working on a vaccine as we speak? I believe so. I don't know. I don't have the information for that. Um, I know that there's been. I mean, we're looking for vaccines. Constantly. All the time, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they've moved the efforts strictly towards this. the COVID virus. I would assume they have, but I don't have that information. I'm sorry. Yeah. Because it's interesting, even the standard flu virus, uh, emphysema that we have every year, I know there's always different uh, uh, vaccinations that are developed for that every year. Yeah. Um, there's something called the ACIP um, ACIP is kind of like the the leading organization that looks at uh, different vaccines, different activity, um, what's happening with our our resistance or our susceptibility, uh, just like what's happening in our bodies with all of these van- vaccines. And I guess the perfect example that I would have is uh, whooping cough. So Tdap pertussis. Mm-hmm. For so many years, we thought that. Uh, we didn't need to t- have a booster for pertussis. And in fact, that w- turned out to be not true because we lost our protection. And so now um, we need to re-immunize or re-boost ourselves with pertussis along with tetanus and diphtheria. Um, so the ACIP meets uh, usually twice a year. And from that, that's the, the nation's governing advisory body for vaccines um, that goes down to each state level and uh, for Minnesota the MIPAC which is the Minnesota Immunization Provider Advisory Committee um, takes what um, the ACIP recommendations are and they try to disseminate them among their professions so for the pharmacist portion I'm the the committee member um, and I'll be the ACIP just met about three or four weeks ago and I was supposed to meet with people to find out what we're going to be doing going forward and then COVID-19 happened so that actually got delayed. Interesting. Laura, do you have a feel for realistically how long it will take to develop this? And that's, I know, kind of a question mark. But my next question is, once it is developed, how long will it take to produce it to get it to the states where everybody is suffering from COVID-19? The good news about immunizations are we're able to accelerate the rate um, that we're able to produce it. So um, the biggest thing would be to get it to production to get it approved and make sure that it's safe. Um, I think they're hoping for the next year. And so then we would be looking at next spring for 
for starting the immunization process. I think from what you've seen from all of the different measures, all the different recommendations that have come out um, so far for like social distancing, uh, the trying to flatten the curve and even shelter in place. A, a week ago, I said shelter in place, and I think most people didn't understand what that was. And now I'd be surprised if people didn't, if <laughs> right. almost everybody didn't know. Yeah. But we're trying to say, change social behavior. So um, what we're trying to do quickly is to get people to realize that unless the, they're socially distancing themselves, um, that's not right. And changing social behavior works a lot better if people choose to do it. That's why I think the governor didn't enforce. Mm-hmm. He asked us to do the stay at home, but he didn't make it, even though he's, he can, he didn't make it, uh, you will do this or you will be punished. Because um, I think he acknowledges that people wanting to do something is more effective than people having to do something. Yeah, that's so true. So, at least it's true for my kids. <laughs> yeah, I think it's true for everyone. So, Laura, really what you're saying in the end is it's very important that we continue to do uh, the instructions that we're given, and that is the social distancing, keep washing our hands. Stay at home if you stay- don't feel well especially. Yeah. Yeah, actually from the CDC call yesterday, I, I um, strengthened our protocol. So we had um, face masks on for interactions with patients. However, now I've strengthened that to a face masks on at all times, as well as wearing gloves at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really reinforce the, the idea that we basically need to get to a place where seeing a group of people not social, socially distancing themselves kind of evokes the same feeling that seeing a group of pregnant women drinking and smoking would yes. make you feel. It yep. should make you feel that uncomfortable. Well, we were just watching, you know, some of the shows, and they're talking, you know, and some of them are standing close to each other, and you just want to yell at the screen, move away from each other, you know? <laughs> yeah. I was I was in the same place yesterday yeah. watching TV thinking, oh, my gosh, you guys get away from each other. I know, yeah. I know. Yeah. And I know we're kind of running short on time here, Laura, but I know you mentioned before we went on air, but uh, one of your calls yesterday, you learned more about PPE, and you wanted to talk about that just a little bit. Um, PPE is personal protection equipment, Mm -hmm. um, and so we don't have enough. They are trying to increase the rate of uh, manufacturing from uh, our face masks through 3M and then through ventilators from Medtronic. Mm -hmm. Um, New, New York is in a place where... They're actually sharing ventilators, so we need to get more ventilators made quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, one, what I find interesting was um, they had asked the experts, you know, when should we stop seeing patients for routine visits at clinics? And one of the the doctors on the call said um, that should have been today. Um, yeah. So I think that some there's somewhat of a lag in what the clinics and the health professionals kind of think that they should be doing and what uh, the CDC maybe is expecting us to do, but I think we're getting there quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing to maybe talk about when I said that we need to change social uh, behavior, um, it was also very apparent to both the governor and the CDC call that even though we need to have that feeling of, you know, you guys got to get away from each other, it cannot be understated how important it is for us to, to go back to the good old-fashioned, let's help each other out. Yes. Um, because if we don't do that, then we're going to, 
our most vulnerable are going to be the ones that fail. Yep, absolutely. Well said. Well, I know we could sit and talk on this call forever, but um, <laughs> yeah, we are out of time. But Laura, thank you so much for taking the time to, to visit with us and share your insight and, and your knowledge about all this. Yeah, you're welcome. I hope it helps. And stay safe, Laura. Yeah, you too. All right, thank take care. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks. Laura Schwartzwald is a pharmacist, and she's been on a number of task forces that talk about pandemic preparedness, and we appreciate her being here today on Community Focus. I'm Ken Thomas, along with Tess Taylor. That is today's edition of Community Focus. Don't forget you can access these programs anytime on our website at 1067wjjy.com. That's brought to you by Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union. And you can also listen to them through our free downloadable app, courtesy of the Cuyuna Regional Medical Center.